Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Hi, everyone. Vicki Vasilega here. Thanks for listening in to today's COVID-19 podcast. Today's feature podcast is from a COVID-19 webinar recorded earlier that you may have missed or may want to hear again. So let's listen in as our content matter experts share their experiences and recommendations for optimal patient care and operational strategies. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to ASHP's podcasts. All right. So um, I'm going to speak to you a little bit about sort of what happens to us in crisis, why it's important that we, we do some of the interventions we do. And I'm going to give you some basic tips and tricks about how you can take better care of yourself, how you can support your colleagues. Now, I'm a psychiatrist. I'm a psychiatrist by training. And it gets tricky for me uh, because a lot of the best things we need to do in these types of immediate crisis response has nothing to do with what I, I spend most of my time doing, which is being a psychiatrist. When Jeff or Dan call up and say, hey, you know, we're going to go do a response, blah, 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 I have to take some conscious efforts to turn off my psychiatry brain and get into my CISM brain because it's, it's similar, but it's certainly not the same type of thing. Now, one of the things we know is that our brains just aren't well designed to deal with prolonged serious stress. Our brains were our brains were evolved to deal with acute stressors, right? So if you imagine it's, you know, 100,000 years ago and we're cave people and there's, you know, a bear or a lion that's about to eat us. Well, it says, Eek, I'm freaking out. It goes to that, you know, fight, flight, or fright mode. Uh, you know, you know, I'm sorry, fight, flight, or freeze mode. And it works really well if you got to run away from the bear or the lion. It doesn't work really well if you've got to homeschool your kid for three months, if you've got to deal with change in work hours, if you're, you know, going between being overwhelmed at work uh, and then going home and now have to do all the stuff you have to do at home, uh, with trying to negotiate to get the last packet hamburger or toilet paper at the grocery store. Our brains just didn't evolve for these kinds of sustained, prolonged crisis response. And what happens is our brain is trying to respond like it's an acute emergency, like we're in a car crash or a house fire. And it says adrenaline, 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 fear, emotion, uh, you know, immediate response. And what happens is our executive functioning, our good decision making, the stuff that happens in the front of our head about, you know, being patient and thoughtful and, and, and collected, it goes right out the window. We call this the amygdala hijack. Now, it does all these things. It makes us distracted. It makes us impulsive. We're more likely to make errors. And my goodness, right? We think about all the things that happen in the pharmacy setting to make sure that people are protected against, you know, all the sort of careless errors from tall man lettering and, you know, pick counts and, and everything else. Um, it, it sets people up to make a lot of easy mistakes. And oh, by the way, all of that bias and implicit bias uh, topics that we've been talking about a lot over the past couple weeks, uh, those implicit biases come out to play when we get stressed out, when we go overwhelmed. And so we want to find ways to fix this. And, you know, it certainly as, you know, a human being, as, as someone who experiences this myself, uh, as someone who cares about their team, we want to get rid of this stuff because it feels bad, but also because it messes with our work, our ability to stay on mission, to stay on task. And certainly as a medical director, certainly as part of a health team, that's also really important. Next slide, please. All right. So 
what do we think about, right? Uh, we use this acronym SAFER, uh, and there's a couple basics here, right? So the first thing we do is stabilize the crisis. If someone is hyperventilating, they're tearful, they're overwhelmed, they're just sort of frozen, that's not the right time for me to come in and do the psychiatry thing of, oh, yeah, tell me about what it was like growing up for you, right? We're doing really, really basic interventions. It might start off with deep breathing. It might start off with, hey, do you need to sit? Do you need to talk? Can I get you some water? Can I get you a kind bar, an apple? You know, something to just give them something to focus on in the moment so that we can start doing our intervention. Um, if there really are crisis things going on around them, sort of immediate safety issues, we've got to address those. Um, you know, make sure that they're safe, that, that the environment is safe, you know, sort of take them away from the workstation if they're in the middle of the task, make sure someone else is taking over for that. So you can focus on that person in crisis and they can focus on starting to get back to, to you know, uh, starting to reground themselves. We acknowledge, say, oh, yeah, this is a lot. We don't shame, we don't judge, say, oh, you're having a real, you know, say, oh, you're, you're overreacting to this. We don't do anything like that. We want to listen. We want them to feel like they can open up. We do planning. We do problem solving. What do you think you need to do next? What do you really need to focus on to get through the shift, to get through the week, to get through, you know, whatever is ahead of you? Um, and sometimes the problem solving is really basic. How are you thinking about getting groceries? Who's going to help with child care? You know, now that we've got summer and we've got no day camps, what's happening with your kid? Or how do you think you're going to make that really tough decision about, where your kid goes for daycare, where your kid goes for summer camp, wondering about what they're going to bring home and, and, you know, all the health risks there. We encourage coping skills and resources, and I'll talk a little bit about those. And then hopefully from that verbal interaction, that verbal intervention, people are going to start feeling a little bit better. Say, yeah, you know what, I, I can do this. I've got a plan going forward to get through the next minutes, the next hours, maybe even the next couple of days. And again, we're thinking about short intervals here. We're not trying to come up with a plan for someone to thrive and succeed for the next decade. No, just get through the next shift, get through the next minute, sometimes just breath by breath. Um, or are we going to say, ooh, this person's still really struggling. How do we link them with the right kind of resources? Now, a couple of things to think about here. First, you know, we use the phrase a lot of times that, that people are having normal reactions to abnormal circumstances. And oh my gosh, we really are. Um, you know, I think about conversations I had six weeks ago or six months ago where I sort of joke with my colleagues, like, imagine, you know, what it's going to be like a year from now. And, uh, you know, we look back and said, remember when we're scared of like, you know, murder hornets or something like that. Well, more stuff happens and more stuff happens. Um, and we need to sort of recognize the range of that experience. And oh, also, we need to be really mindful um, that some states and some licensing authorities really do put a lot of pressure and a lot of stigma around people acknowledging their own mental health issues, including stress disorders like acute and post-traumatic stress. And for a lot of people, that can be a barrier. By the way, lots of groups uh, put out a position statement in the past few weeks really pushing back on the licensing authorities, and it had sign-offs from lots of major medical organizations. It even had, I think, an endorsement from the Joint Commission as well saying, listen, stigmatizing mental illness and people with mental health issues is not helpful. We need to really support and help all of our colleagues get the care they need, especially in this very stressful time. Next slide, please. Right. One of the questions I was getting like, what's the best coping skill for someone? Well, probably whatever works for them already. 
barring that it's not something really unhealthy, right? Since my coping skill is, you know, I go to the bar and I get really drunk and I like to punch people in the face and then, you know, my stress goes, eh, it's not a great coping skill, right? Um, so a lot of times, what, what's helped you in the past? The last time you were stressed out, the last time you went through something, well, as Dan mentioned, not a lot of people have gone through uh, pandemics unless they did uh, some response for things like Ebola. Uh, but the last time you were having these types of emotions, these feelings, feeling so stressed out, you weren't sleeping, you weren't functioning at work. What helped you get through it? What helped you get past it? Oh, like healthy eating, healthy diet. Uh, we talk a lot about just basic, basic exercise. It actually, there's some good research that says that it helps us on so many levels uh, when we're under stress. Breathing skills. Sounds silly, sounds basic, but just the deep breaths, hold it, release, right? No shortage of apps in the iStore uh, and, and the Android store to help us breathe, right? But but uh, it makes a big difference. Ultimately, what we're looking for is meaningful, positive, healthy, or at least healthy-ish activities. Um, and when possible, to, to do something with meaningful relationships. We've had a lot of dialogue about social distancing. And I really emphasize it should be physical distancing. But more than ever before, we need that social connectedness with our peers, with our family, with our natural support network to help us get through this. And, and if we can blend that healthy activity with that social engagement, realizing that if we're working on the front lines, if we're in the middle of, you know, if we're the ER or the ICU, uh, you know, staff, taking those experiences and sharing what we've seen at the front lines with, you know, our Aunt Joy, who's, you know, a librarian, does it, we don't want to put those, you know, sort of traumatic things in their head, but we can certainly seek support on emotions. Um, we talk about getting back to a normal schedule as normal as possible when you can. Um, and we talk a lot about this idea of just, you know, simple goals, right? So it's not that I'm going to go start exercising, you know, 45 minutes a day, jogging every day. Eh, five minutes, or I'll take 15 minutes on my lunch break. Um, and by the way, I'm going to plan ahead and not just say, oh, you know, I'll do it if I have a break. I'm actually going to start the day and say, hey, boss, you know, I've been, you know, we've all been working to the max. I, I, I need to protect some of my lunch break, even though I know we're usually working through it because I, I, I got to do some self-care so I can stay on task and, and, and stay effective and stay accurate, right? Um, you know, a, a generation ago in the house of God, uh, the, the first law of the house of God, if you've ever read that book, was that the first pulse to take out a code is our own. And it's it's good guidance to remind that we've got to be mindful, we've got to present, be present and calm to do the work we need to do. Next slide, please. Well, we can all feel stressed. We can all have our sleep will be a little bit off. We'll feel a little bit edgy or emotional. That's fine. It's part of life, right? Times when I start to get really concerned and we want to pay a little more attention, more substance use than usual. Someone's talking about feeling out of control or out of touch or numb, feeling angry at patients. Now, by the way, you're allowed to get snippy. You're allowed to get annoyed if you sort of keep it backstage. When it's coming out, people are being irritable with coworkers, people are being irritable with the patients directly, right? When they're actually expressing it, when it's interfering with the work, that's when we get concerned. Risk-taking and recklessness. By the way, sensation-seeking activities may be not a bad thing. That might be someone's coping strategy. But when it becomes dangerous for themselves or others, we get concerned about. And certainly, as people talk about feeling hopeless, they're talking about saying, gosh, things are just getting worse. They're not getting any better. When they start to have physical symptoms or suicidality, we get really, really concerned. And that's when we're definitely thinking, how do we quickly refer? Next slide, please. 
There's a great resource toolkit uh, from the National Suicide Lifeline and a number of other resources called BeTheOne2.com. And for those of you who are listening, it's the words B, B E, the, T H E, one, the number one, two, T O, dot com. Uh, And it's got a lot of really basic, you can read it in five minute type of guidance, how to ask about suicide. But the bottom line is to say, hey, you're talking a lot about feeling really hopeless or that you'd be better off dead or that you're burdened. I got to ask because I care about you. Tell me, you know, are you having thoughts about killing yourself or, or suicide? You're not going to plant the idea if they're not having thoughts. Oh, no, I don't feel that bad, but thanks for asking. But for a lot of people, just knowing that someone's comfortable enough to ask is a big relief. They say yes, stick with them reach out, get support through the National Suicide Lifeline, through appropriate workplace resources, make sure they connect and, and make sure they know that you're sort of following up and checking on them. All right, this brings me to an end of, of my section. Next slide, please. We'll go to slides. Uh, we put up a couple resources here that I want you to know about. The Disaster Distress Helpline uh, is part of a, a national network of crisis centers that handles calls related to uh, disasters like what we've been going through recently. It's confidential. It's free. It's available 24-7. Uh, you can also reach them by text. Uh, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, also a national network of confidential, immediate, 24-7 uh, immediate resources. And you can learn a lot more about CISM at the ICISF website uh, that's posted there as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening in today. For more information, please be sure to check out the ASHP COVID-19 Resource Center at ashp.org backslash COVID-19. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.